Welcome to Garden DC, the podcast about everything gardening in the Washington DC and Mid-Atlantic region. I'm your host, Kathy Gents. I'm the editor of Washington Gardener Magazine, and we're aimed at gardening enthusiasts, people who grow everything from edibles to ornamentals, natives to exotics. If it grows in our area, that's what we talk about. This episode, we're joined by Kelly Billing, owner of Water Becomes a Garden in the Baltimore area. Kelly, how are you? I'm excellent, and how are you? Doing good. So uh, we're finally having, finally, a warm weekend (laughs) in the mid-Atlantic area. Um, Supposedly on Saturday, it's going to hit 85 degrees. Yeah, winter wasn't very strong or potent, but it was certainly long. Mm-hmm. So for the water gardening business, has that affected you a lot? It has delayed a lot of projects along with COVID. Um, there's a hesitancy, um, but mm-hmm. plant material hasn't progressed as much as usual. For example, I'm still, I just finished harvesting lotus. Um, let me see, the first... Uh, first week of May and Mm -hmm. I've never gone beyond the first week of April. Wow. So a full four weeks with these nighttime cold temperatures. Mm -hmm. And when you say harvesting lotus, are you harvesting seed or what are you doing? Harvesting tubers. Um, Mm -hmm. So for anyone who doesn't know, I guess the easiest way to explain is lotus is like a potato that looks like a banana. Um, but you plant a potato and it grows a plant um, mm-hmm. that prospers all year. And then in the fall, the, the, the potato that you planted rots away because it was food for the growth for the season. And then in the fall, there are um, lots of potatoes to collect. And we don't collect lotus in the fall. We um, have long-term storage issues that we haven't conquered, but we mm-hmm. harvest them in the spring and you're basically collecting tubers that look they're long like a banana mm-hmm. and that's specifically for the mid-atlantic climate say you were in a tropical climate like indonesia or elsewhere you would be doing it differently yeah they harvest in january mm-hmm. um, unless they're okay. the opposite climate of us um, mm-hmm. then you know say southern hemisphere then they would be harvesting at a different time yeah. So you've harvested your lotus and you pot them up for customers or do you bare root sell them? I sell some bare root. Um, this is my first official harvest. Um, mm-hmm. I have been collecting plants for probably, I don't know, 30 years. Wow. And So they've been in all kinds of places, friends, family, my backyard, you know, anybody Mm -hmm. who is willing to say, hold a few plants while, you know, I gather more and look for space. So I have found some space and I'm leasing um, from a farm locally and they all have a home. So I did my first full official harvest. Um, I had 45 cultivars that I had collected. I surprised myself. Hmm. And um, it was pretty successful. And how are they wintered over? 
I grow some in beds, which I harvest mm-hmm. direct from the bed, um, bare root, and then I can either sell them bare root or potted. And then I grow some in pots or whatever's left over from the previous year's sales season can then be harvested in the spring. Um, or you can sell them as a second year plant, which would be more okay. mature. Going mm-hmm. into like a, a landscape um, scenario early in the season, they might want to have something that is left over from the previous year so that they'll get a better display for their clients. Nice. So when you say you're storing them at friends' homes and families, or, or is that in a basement situation, a garage, no, or it, dug it, into the ground? Dug mm-hmm. into the ground or raised beds. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice. Winters have not been so extreme in more recent years, uh, like 96, 2010. I think 2010 uh, was probably the really worst winter that we've had recently. Yeah. That, that is one for the memory. Yeah. <laughs> so that one's been. So let's rewind a little bit and tell people how you became enamored of lotuses in particular and water gardening in general. I have been, I, I had the blessing of a mom who we spent most of our childhood in the woods um, mm. identifying plants from partridge berry and jack in the pulpit to dogwoods and uh, service berry types of trees. We were always in the woods, walking, hiking. We had a fire trail behind our house. And so I was always a gardener. My mom was a gardener. We learned how, you know, if you were going to bring something from the forest, you had to bring some of the forest soil and um, make it feel at home when you transferred it to the house back then. And uh, my mom was an avid gardener. My grandparents were gardeners. My dad was a gardener. Um, as a child, we used to sit. Uh, I'd come home from school and sit on the sidewalk and wait for the four o'clocks to open. I thought that was <laughs> amazing. We've had a pond at every single house uh, since mm. birth. Uh, the old uh, flying saucers, the concrete flying saucer dish that w- was what constituted ponds back in the 1960s we had those we had you know small ones big ones and I just one weekend my uncle was starting a business and I went and asked him if he needed help and that was 35 years ago Hmm. and that was an aquatic nursery for which I worked for 32 years and I'm my third year on my own Um, well congratulations for starting your own business yeah That's, that's a huge endeavor it is a huge endeavor, uh, but I really enjoyed it. And I, I became captivated by Lotus uh, was around the time that my children were young when I was working in the nursery. My daughter's almost 30. Mm-hmm. And I think I learned the most about it through children's eyes. Um, it was a mechanism for our birthday party hats lotus leaves upside down on your head (laughs) with a string to tie them um you know the all the children look like fairies my daughter's an artist she was always very creative so Hmm. she would use flower petals for boats for little baby dolls and um so i really the influence came um as much as what i noticed but i also noticed what children noticed Mm -hmm. and that was a love affair you can eat all parts of it you can 
um, eat the seeds, the tubers, the stems, the leaves, the flowers, um, teas, stir fry, soup, um, steaming. Mm -hmm. uh, there's so many potential uses. It's also used for medicine. It has a lot of history, a lot of stories. And my daughter um, wanted to grow only things that we could eat as a child. So lotus really filled a big chunk of that. Hmm. And Lois also has a lot of religious symbolism, um, which is always magical to hear the stories. It has a tremendous amount of history. Culturally, um, I've been to China, and there they have Lotus that that one is 1,200 years old, and that hmm. one is 600 years old, and that one is 900 years old. And the, the sense of history, the empowerment from a plant that you know, that it's been known and adored for that many years, specifically to that cultivar, is pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and there are only two parent plants in the world, Hindu lotus and American lotus, and there are over 4,000 named cultivars that came from those two parents. So it has so much depth um, and history and culture and story. I'm actually helping a lady in India who is writing a book. There were really no growers of lotus in India. Hmm. All of it had taken precedent as cultural importance and architecture, um, worship, religion, but it was not really being grown for food or, you know, ornamental purposes. Mm -hmm. Wow. So I have to confess, the only lotus I own is a miniature called Green Cloud, just because I fell in love with that flower. It's kind of peony-like green to creamy white, um, but it's kept in its own separate big pot um, from the rest of my water garden uh, because I have this fear of the lotus taking over the whole rest of my water garden pond, <laughs> and I only have like a nine-foot oval. Um, what do you recommend for home gardeners who, who want a couple, one or two lotus in their garden? I think the easiest lotus I have ever grown is outside the pond. Um, mm -hmm. People often ask, you know, I don't have a pond. How can I have a lotus? I've always had lotus and, and didn't have a pond um, until more recently. So if you bury a container, virtually anything that holds water that mm -hmm. has broad enough and deep enough, which deep enough is only 12 inches. Um, it's not like you have to dig a huge hole. Um, you can dig a huge hole if you want mm -hmm. a big lotus garden, but I find they're easier to manage, easier to maintain. The boundaries are very clear. Um, mm -hmm. You can put them into your perennial garden, um, just buried in the ground. My children used it for an ice skating rink in the winter. And they used it, you know, to watch the abundant life that's attracted to it um, and to eat it all from a 36 diameter container that's about the size of a kiddie pool. Mm -hmm. uh, I've had customers use old bathtubs, old sanitary sinks um, for really small lotuses. People have, you know, used very small decorative containers, anything that holds water will pretty much suffice. And if it's 12 inches deep, then you can bury it and it will winter just fine here. 
great. Yeah. And that is the key, I think, is is the shallow depth that you don't want to uh, drown, per se, or have it too low in the pot. Yeah. Some people have asked me, well, like, is it going to survive the winter if it's only 12 inches deep? Yes, it will survive the winter. But if you make it deeper because you think it needs that or it prefers that, what mm-hmm. happens is it's harder to manage. Your arms aren't much longer than two feet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I spend a little bit of time doing some maintenance each year, um, just pulling out the previous year's growth. And that's about all I do besides drop in some fertilizer, which if it's in the pond, I may have to climb in the pond to fertilize it. If it's in the garden, mm-hmm. I can just throw it in. And what kind of fertilizer do you recommend? I use a product called Pond Tabs, and I also use a product called Landon's. But Landon's mm-hmm. is very hot, and you have to use it with caution. Uh, Pond Tabs Plus, they're a little bit more expensive, but I find that you can use about 50% as much of it, and you mm-hmm. get a better feed. The humic acid makes the fertilizer more available, so you can use less of it. That's a great tip. So talk about, you talked about 4,000 lotus varieties coming from the the, world, in the world, coming from the two, the American and the Asian Um, of those 4,000, you know, gun to your head, Kelly. (laughs) (laughs) And I know this is like picking your favorite children. What would be your, say your top three? My top three. Well, I'll start by saying, I've never met a lotus that I don't love Mm -hmm. um, unless her flowers are hidden among her foliage. And my first favorite will probably always be Mrs. Perry D. Slocum. Uh, Totally agree. Totally agree. She's consistent, um, productive, easy to take care of, multiple color flowers on the same plant. Um, you know, so they come out pink, a vibrant, just voluptuous pink, and then they fade each day. They're open three to four days to a pale yellow. Um, Mm. So you'll get multiple colored flowers on the same plant. And I think it's just, it's like a first love. I'm always going to love her because she was the first one I had. Now I think, and I think still my second favorite is white single flowering lotus there's Hmm. something very pure and elegant um about the whiteness and the story and the history of lotus um where if you can if a lotus can rise from the depths of the mud toward Mm -hmm. the sky or toward god or toward you know whoever you worship then so can a person and there's just something mm-hmm. about white single traditional lotus that brings to mind that that cultural significance mm-hmm. that classic shape and mm-hmm. that 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 totally classic silhouette yeah white flowers are not always the most popular but i do love white lotus. Mm-hmm. beautiful and the third one i would oh that would be really hard um you can have a tie (laughs) i well you know i'm a sucker for a plant with a Mm -hmm. story and Mm -hmm. there is one called thousand petal 
I'm growing mm. it for the first time this year. Well, I grew it last year, but it didn't bloom um, because I had imported them and there were some delays in shipping. So this year I will get to see it flower, but I've seen it when I was in China and it has a story at some point in China, the army went through and took away all things of beauty from every person in the entire country. They couldn't grow their own food and they couldn't grow plants for ornamental, um, you know, for pleasure. And when a friend of mine from China uh, that was here getting his PhD at Auburn went back to China, there was a woman who brought him a plant when she found out about the research institute at Chen Shan Botanic Garden. And she said, I traveled very far and I needed to bring this to you. It was my great, great grandfather's. And when the army came through to destroy everything, he saved a piece and he hid it on the roof of mm. our home. And when I heard that you were going to be doing Lotus research, I thought that this would be important to you. It has so many petals, it takes two full weeks to open. Wow, astounding. Yeah, so um, it's often used for cut flower because Mm -hmm. it will persist in a vase. Most lotus drop their petals when when they're cut from the plant. So you cut them as a bud, not a flower. Mm -hmm. Um, But thousand petal lotus takes two weeks to open so that you're going to get two weeks in a vase. And then as new petals are coming, old petals are falling off. So... Okay, Kelly, now, you, now you've planted that plant lust in me. <laughs> now I need a thousand petal lotus. Yeah, but that I am. sounds amazing. I'm a sucker yeah. for a plant with a story. I can't oh, help it. It just sounds beautiful. And that does bring up one of the topics I wanted to ask you about, which is um, the increasing use of lotus in the cut flower trade. Um, are you finding that it's... the it's just the beginning maybe of this trend or um, that people, especially floral designers and arrangers weren't aware that you could even use a Lotus. Well, they notoriously have a reputation for not holding well in a vase as a flower Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because of current research, they're geared to, you know, some of what they're creating to be, of use in a vase for a longer period of time. Just like we make sweeter corn, redder tomatoes, Mm -hmm. we're making lotus that hold their petals longer. So there is a developing industry of cultivars that are going to be suitable as a cut flower, which we hadn't had before. It's at the beginning, very Mm -hmm. much at the beginning. And uh, flower buds can be folded, flower buds can be used in, in, of vases they can be even dried hung upside down and painted and it's a very crafty plant you can use it for a lot of things but for the real sole focus purpose of cut flower that is in its infancy especially in this country mm-hmm. yeah it's i think one thing that we have to look forward to in coming years is the amazing variety we're about to see coming on the market and maybe you know, a decade or two. Yeah. It's one Um, of the things that I want to focus on is, you know, I love being around them all the time. mm -hmm. And I just think that it's, you know, even when I cut them, if they only last for four or five days, I'm still okay with that. 
mm-hmm. you know, the process of them dropping their petals, the shape that changes, the color changes, even if it's four or five days, I'm okay with that, but I have an abundant supply. As that progresses, I think that they're going to be more and more in wedding bouquets and floral arrangements and things that, um, you know, we haven't seen previously. Mm-hmm. And uh, by any chance, did you see the movie Crazy Rich Asians? No. Okay. So there is, you have to go see it because there is a wedding scene um, towards the end of the movie and they flood the church or facility and make a water garden that's that's where the wedding takes place oh wow (laughs) and so there are floating lotuses and water lilies and that sort of thing so listeners if you haven't seen the movie go see the movie (laughs) do you check that check that out yeah do you recall the olympics when they were Mm -hmm. in china and the opening ceremony oh yes and they had the circle of rice patties that they flipped them and brought lotus to the surface. Oh, it was yes. phenomenal and then filled with mist. They're a very mm-hmm. romantic plant. Um, yeah, that is just stunning images. Yeah, that was pretty cool too. So you touched on for the cut flower trade where the breeding is going in the direction of having longer lasting cut blooms. What are some of the other things in lotus breeding um, that people are looking for. I was thinking that variegation in the leaf might be something that people are striving for. There is one variegated one that I know of. Um, mm-hmm. A focus of a lot of hybridization has been red flowers, like true mm. red flowers. Yeah. There are a lot of lotus that are called red that are really dark pink. Mm-hmm. But they were More like a chair. Yeah. yeah, they were the reddest pink ones at one mm-hmm. time. But now there are true red lotus, um, like garnet red. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing is that most of the hybridization that was happening was happening in Asian countries. And the parent plant there is pink. So mm-hmm. nearly all of them are pink or, or white or pale yellow was only recently introduced into hybridization um, of say modern times in Asia so there are a lot of yellows that are coming to the market now uh, dancing monkey and ottoman moling and they're like buttercream and mm-hmm. you know brilliant yellows that have much easier cultural requirements than the American lotus which is actually quite difficult to grow outside of the wild yeah, I was thinking that the the reds, the the striving for that true true red was, you know, obviously coming out of China, but I do know that even in the west there's, you know, the crepe myrtles, everybody wants that true red mm-hmm. and there's there's several other plant breeding pro- programs going on even to get a red hydrangea, not just a dark pink but a but deep deep red. Um so interesting. There's also a stri- there's always been the striving for a blue lotus, which mm-hmm. you'll often see advertised on the internet. Um, there's a company that's quite aggressive right now, and they show them with flower colors of teal and black and dark purple and neon blue, and they're all fake. They don't exist. It isn't true. And if you look very closely at the ads, they're either Photoshopped or they're plastic. And um, it's really disheartening because a lot of people 
you know, are being taken by that. And it's a hybridizer's dream, um, Mm -hmm. you know, to have the blue lotus. Uh, We're still a little bit far away from that. Yeah. And that's definitely a lesson um, for new gardeners out there that uh, too good to be true. Do your research and that don't believe everything on the Internet. Yeah. There are an abundance of reputable growers. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's unfortunate for me that anyone would attempt to have something of great beauty and fail and then not try again because they, Mm -hmm. because they were giving something that wasn't, you know, going to give them the, what -hmm. they were led to believe that they were going to get that experience. Yeah. Yeah. A bad experience Mm -hmm. that leads them to not try it again and really have that, that beauty present. Well, Let's hope that people, when their first lotus growing experience or water gardening experience, um, that they have a first success. And if not, you know, I always say it's not the grower's problem. It was the plant. And (laughs) unless you killed it two or three times, then it might be you. Yeah. They're definitely (laughs) one of the easiest plants to grow. They require Mm -hmm. very little care and just ask that they not dry out and they get something Mm -hmm. to eat once in a while. So they're, they're quite easy to tackle. And, and I would think my water garden is the least maintenance area of my entire garden. Uh, because I always say it doesn't need to be weeded. I don't have to water it in the summer heat. You know, mm-hmm. I can't let the pot, uh, obviously can't go completely dry. But as long as we have regular rain, I don't have to worry about it. And um, hardly fertilize because I have fish in there and I feel like the fish feces are, you know, that's fertilizing it enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and the number one question, of course, we get for about water gardening is mosquitoes. Um, so lotus do grow in standing water. Um, so I throw, you know, every two weeks or so, some mosquito bits in the pot with my lotus because I don't have fish in that pot because it's not moving water. One of the things that's probably one of the largest misconceptions, um, for example, the 36-inch container that we stuck into my garden actually was the mm-hmm. first thing there, and we built the entire garden around this 36-inch planter of lotus that sat out there in the middle of the turf, you know, while it was waiting for the rest of the garden to come. But what we also learned is that in two weeks, my son was four or five, and actually I just made a post about this, but I said, do you know what build it and they will come means? And mm-hmm. we watched, and in 14 days, we had water boatmen, Daphne, water skates, dragonfly larvae, tadpoles, frogs, um, you know, butterflies, bees, beetles, all kinds, an abundance of life that came to this little puddle of water. So it, even without fish, dragonfly larvae, tadpoles, mm-hmm. um, water boatmen, they all eat mosquito larvae. So, you know, to it's a misconception that because you have standing water, you're going to have mosquitoes. A mosquito's mm-hmm. preference is actually to have a stagnant pool where there are no predators. So it's not going to choose a lotus bowl as its first choice for laying eggs. Um, in a drought, well, then they might be forced to do some things mm-hmm. out of character, but they already know that there's going to be other predators there. Um, and often that happens all by itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's one of the main benefits of water gardening is that every 
wildlife, every creature in the area is immediately attracted to water. It's our, it's something primeval in all of our cells, that Jungian primate brain that we long for water. And so we're always attracted to that. Mm-hmm. Along with everybody else. And it's, it's mm-hmm. simply amazing how quickly they come. So I want to move on to the next phase uh, in a lotus's life. We talked about the flowers for a bit and a little bit on the foliage, but the dried seed pods are, are something that's, you know, beautiful in themselves and pretty amazing. Again, I got to see lotus through the eyes of my children. And I can tell you that we had lotus pods. Most people spray paint them silver or gold and add them to a Christmas mm-hmm. tree or a wreath or a flower arrangement. We had zebra stripes, we had blue, <laughs> we had polka dots, you know, we had ones where the inside of the seed cell was, you know, if there were 36 holes, there were 36 colors painted inside that seed <laughs> pod. So there, it, it is a great plant for, you know, providing a means for creativity and seed pods is, yes, definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. They're like nature's perfect toy almost because you can manipulate them and take the seeds out and put them back in. I don't know if I would let a toddler alone with the seeds. Yeah, but, no, probably yeah, not. Probably not, but, you know, fun for older children. Yeah, we've cut them. Um, they have a, a beautiful pattern, even the seed pods. If you if you cut them and you can dip them in paint and you can stamp things with them, hmm. um, even inside the seed seed pod when you when you cut it in half there's a whole nother layer of beauty underneath another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. So Longwood Gardens has a magical water garden display, which includes lotus. And they usually have upwards of a dozen different cultivars, uh, the main one being very large. Uh, Chanticleer is not far from there, and they have mm-hmm. a lovely little lotus garden down in the bottom of the valley. Uh, Mount Cuba actually is a native plant garden in Delaware. They also have some lotus, and Ladue Topiary Garden has a little bit mm. in one of their gardens. They've added lotus. And if you, besides Kenilworth, which is probably the premier lotus destination in the entire mid-Atlantic area. Um, There's always childlike excitement about going to Kenilworth to see (laughs) the Mm -hmm. amazing amount of lotus that they have. And then as far as a retailer, um, Lily Ponds has lotus in there in uh, Lily Ponds, Maryland, which is out near Frederick. Mm -hmm. Um, And those are about most of the ones that I can think of. Yep. Yeah. Most of the public gardens in our area, they might have a, a small water garden or stream bed garden. Um, but Longwood, um, the terrace in back of the large conservatory is not to be missed, I will say. Longwood in general is not to be missed. Yeah. 
<laughs> Actually, all the botanic gardens in that area are mm-hmm. quite lovely. Winterthur, yeah. um, they don't all have lotus, but it is, uh, it, you couldn't go and do multiple ones in a day. Um, but And actually, Washington, D.C. has, you know, the U.S. Botanic Garden mm-hmm. and a, a lot of the gardens, the Smithsonian and Kenilworth, there's plenty mm-hmm. to see there, too. And the National Arboretum, which is actually across the Anacostia from Kenilworth. And one day they'll be easier to access from each other. They're going to they're going to put like a little boat landing and an easier access and a bike trail. Um, but it's funny because they do face each other on the river, but nobody knows that. I <laughs> so, didn't know that. Yeah. So at one time they had discussed um, doing a co-festival. So maybe a crepe myrtle festival on the um, Arboretum side at the same time as the Water Lily and Lotus Festival on the Kenilworth side. Um, but that got set aside. So, that would be fantastic. Mm-hmm, I would love to go back and forth. And if they had like a little, you know, shuttle boat or something, that would just be a wonderful day to spend in DC. Yeah, it would. There's a, I did a project at the FDA and it's water lilies and crepe myrtles and they're Mm. just both in peak season and it's magical together. Yes. That's like a great late mid to late summer DC trend. Um, The other thing I was thinking about for water gardening is the downtown Frederick waterways that they've built up the Creek. Um, which is mostly water lilies in that case. I don't think it's too many lotus plants being used at that installation. They did a fantastic job. Mm -hmm. Lily Ponds is in a large part responsible for that happening. Mm -hmm. Um, They do have a tremendous amount of water lilies and shallow water plants, lots of cannas and taro and pickerel. And so they have a lot of other plant material and there are some lotus in there too. But they did a very nice job. It's a very sort of eclectic and artsy and restaurants. It's a good day trip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a lovely just, you know, take have a nice brunch and walk around downtown Frederick shopping and then walk along the, the waterway and see those fantastic water, water garden plantings. And speaking of art, so I was going to say your part of your business or your hobby, maybe more, is making lotus art. Can you describe some of those pieces? Yeah, my children, again, being largely responsible for their innocent creativity, we would pretty much turn anything into an art project. And a friend of mine went to Thailand with the International Water Gardening Society uh, one year, and I wasn't able to attend. And she brought me back a box wrapped in a lotus leaf that was painted red and gold. And Hmm. I had inquired to Thailand, how do you do that? And they said, well, it's a Thai trade secret. And I thought, hmm, Thai trade secret. Well, then I'm just been challenged. So I started fooling (laughs) around with different ways to dry the leaves, press them. So they're growing in a very wet environment and they're Mm -hmm. also not flat. So... You have to fold them and manipulate them and then get them to dry. And they are full of a lot of water. So tackling that, I can't say I have perfected it. And I have failed a lot. Um, But I have been able to attach them to a canvas. And then I paint them with generally about nine layers of color. Wow. Mm -hmm. Um, Primarily uh, metallic paint on canvas. Mm. 
it's yeah. therapy for me, really. <laughs> and you get to, you know, enjoy them all year round. Yes. Yes. So that's amazing. Um, any other type of artwork you, you're doing with the plants? No, my nieces, uh, I haven't, one of them is also an artist. My mom was an artist. My aunt was an artist. Um, so they've sort of been infused into different projects here and there. Um, they're quite beautiful, the stems and the parts and the pieces when you cut into them. So they've been used in a less traditional format, mm. uh, but nothing consistent. They're usually part of a project that has something to do with, you know, nature and Mm-hmm. and natural materials. Nice. So um, you touched on the International Water Lily and Water Gardening Society, um, which for our listeners is iwgs.org.org. Um, how long have you been involved in this society? I've been, I think my first symposium was in 1988. Wow. <laughs> and... Um, I had no experience growing things in the water outside of, you know, a couple of water lilies throughout my youth. Um, they were an immense amount of information, mentorship, friendship. Uh, if you're looking for information, they're a, a terrific resource. And if we don't know um, the answer, we will find the answer or put you in touch with a person who can help guide you. Uh, mm-hmm. I mentor through the IWGS, and I have students in Bangladesh, India, uh, South America, um, and here in the United States that I can think of. Um, so we offer assistance for anyone from growers to consumers to, you know, hobbyists, um, uh, professional research uh, facilities, things like that. Um, one of the things we're working on is certifying collections. So if you want to see a lot of plants, you can find places worldwide to go and hmm. see them for inspiration. And that, that annual symposium has gone to some amazing places. Yeah. I never thought that playing in the mud was going to take me around the world. <laughs> <laughs> And the symposium typically does two years in the United States and then one year abroad. Uh, Mm -hmm. Recently, we've been to Texas, Pennsylvania, France, uh, going to Canada, which was going to be next year. But now we've had to postpone the Naples, Florida, which would have been this year. It will be 2021 and then Canada will follow that. It will be Mm -hmm. the West Coast of Canada. Um, we've been to Toronto before many other countries from Thailand to, uh, most, a a lot of European countries, uh, South America, there have been trips to the Amazon through the IWGS. So they get around. We're pretty, pretty well connected worldwide. Our most recent country that has joined is Russia. Hmm. Um, We never had any Russian um, members and we do now. That's fantastic. And I have to, I have to confess that I am uh, one of my many other hats is as editor of the IWGS water garden journal, which is a quarterly journal. And Kelly has been super helpful and instrumental in getting a lot of the content um, for that journal. And the journal 
is not like a lot of other society journals where it's very science and techie. So there might be some technical breeding um, articles, but a lot of it, the lay gardener or, or beginning water gardener can jump right in and totally read it and enjoy it. Yeah, you do a great job putting that together. Um, we try to put something in there for everyone, you know, from a beginner to mm-hmm. you know someone who's in research and development. And um, I think we pull that off pretty good, especially more recently. Yeah, I think it's gotten, it's grown over the years. And also IWGS membership has broadened, I believe, over the years to... Um, there's, you know, from the plant geek and professional side to people who are just, I just can't get enough of photographing water lilies or lotus or the wildlife that goes along with water gardening. Yeah. And I think that there is a trend of aquatic plants that is mm-hmm. rejuvenated. Um, we see that, you know, as I said, Russia, we never had anyone from Russia in the water garden society and they're very active actually. So we we touch most of the globe, Australia, uh, you know, of course, all the European countries. I mean, it's New Zealand. I can't, mm-hmm. I can't think of a country that we don't have participating, actually. Yeah, and it's it's a challenge because the journal is in English, but a lot of the the content is coming from non English speaking members. So. There's always that filter of trying to, you know, establish communi- clear communication between everybody. But I think it works. I think it works. Yeah. So for those who are interested in joining, it's IWGS.org. And they also have a very active Facebook discussion page um, and group. So International Water Lily and Water Gardening Society on Facebook um, if you join onto that, you, you will definitely dive right in, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. The group page. So if you go to the IWGS page and then, and then ask to be a member of the group, mm-hmm. it is hugely active. And if you want to know what's new, what's up and coming, what kinds of new colors are being created, shapes, sizes, you know, mm-hmm. from enormous to the size of your thumbnail water lilies. Um, it's pretty exciting stuff, even if you're not, um, you know, wholly into it, but just if you want to see some really beautiful flowers. Yeah, just scrolling through that Facebook feed of people's photos is uh, just, in, you know, enchanting. It is. It's just one beautiful flower after another. So how can our listeners catch up with you, Kelly, and your business? I am sort of a jack of all trades. I have mm-hmm. a long history of water quality improvement. So I work mm, sort of under the guise of any size, always with an attention to ease of maintenance, um, you know, water quality without a lot. I, I'm not a chemical proponent. I'm not a Band-Aid fix-it kind of but more from mm-hmm. a bottom-up perspective, I believe that, you know, Mother Nature has been purifying bodies of water for millions of years. And it's much less complicated than when you dive into it, you, you might believe. Um, 
I think human beings by nature, we try to engineer solutions. And I'm Mm -hmm. more of a holistic approach in that you can achieve balance if you don't meddle too much. Um, And, you know, it's very easy. So I work on projects that are 40 acre lake to a small container garden on your deck or patio. Um, So I do some consulting. I also am doing some growing um, I do planting, I do maintenance, I do design and layout. Uh, I work a lot with swim ponds, um, mm. swimming pools that use plants as the filter in entirety. They're chemical free. So how can you plant effectively, you know, to keep your water body healthy? Mm-hmm. Swim ponds are um, growing in popularity in the United States quite a bit, actually, in the last few years as people are trying yeah. to get farther away from you know, chlorine or salt or, or chemicals. Um, that's very a, yeah, popular that's, in Europe. Exactly. And that's a very exciting trend that I'm so happy to see more of in the U.S. is the swim pond, d- converting that chemical pool into a living, breathing ecosystem that you can enjoy as well. Yeah, lawns and swimming pools kind of hand-in-hand hand chemical sinkholes, and that trend is changing, and there's more mm-hmm. acceptance of diversity and a whole ecosystem. And swim ponds, about the only difference is you don't put fish in. That's not to say that fish won't come, because sometimes mm-hmm. it comes on a bird's foot or something, but the, that it, it is for human swimming. And mm-hmm. it's not as difficult as you might think. You know, Mother Nature is pretty powerful if if you can help, um, help uh, get her, uh, improve her efficiency, I guess was mm-hmm. the word I was looking for. So, and there are ways to do that and plants that are better than others at, at accomplishing certain goals. So, hey. And then people can reach you through kellybilling.com and it sounds just like, it's spelled just like it sounds. Yep. And um, water beco- water becomes a garden, all one word, no spaces or dashes. Waterbecomesagarden.com will take you to the same website, correct? That's correct. All right. And so Kelly Billing, aquatic consultant and grower, thank you so much for joining us. Well, it was my pleasure, Kathy. I cannot wait to go dip my feet out in my backyard pond this weekend and get in the muck. Yeah, if I have my way, then there won't be anyone without a lotus. So (laughs) that would be be a beautiful, beautiful vision. And thank you again, Kelly. All right. Thank you, Kathy. So I'm not going to hang up. I was going to say there was one a uh, water garden in the area that I for- that we did forget about which is Glenstone. <laughs> Glenstone. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I you know what maybe because it's modern and it's new and I've never mm-hmm. been. That's what um, I was thinking. I was like all of a sudden it popped into my head at the end. I was like oh, Glenstone's going to be mad at us but whatever. <laughs> They're going to live. It's because they are newer. Do you want to do it and try to edit it in? Um, I could, try, I could, maybe I'll ask a question and try to insert it in there. Be tough. Okay. So let me say, Oh, um, you know what you could ask me? Mm-hmm. Mixing art and aquatic plants. Yeah. Okay. So because we've talked time. about art and we've talked about, yeah. plants, so I don't know. And I'll try maybe. to answer it really quickly. Okay. Where is it located? What town? It's in Potomac, Maryland. Potomac. Okay. Yeah. 
Okay, so 19 dot. Okay. So, Kelly, we've talked about water gardening um, as a hobby and an art. And there's a place in the area that combines both. Glenstone in Potomac. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are a visual art museum uh, as well as one of the most beautiful water features uh, you can imagine. And, And they have a unique system in what in their gallery and their water garden so they're using not chemicals but um, i believe an ozone system yes ozone is a little bit tricky um Mm -hmm. but they have achieved it they've done it very well and it is an option for pond filtration and they are also very heavy on plants which of course contributes to the whole ecosystem balance Mm -hmm. it's a beautiful beautiful garden and for those who aren't familiar with Glenstone, it's a, it's a fairly new public garden and art installation complex with several galleries and huge outdoor sculptures um, that's in Potomac, Maryland. And you could just Google Glenstone um, right now because of the COVID. Um, it is closed, but it should hopefully be back open to Uh, visitors this summer and it's completely free you just have to make a reservation um, on their online reservation website yeah one of the sad things of COVID is that many of the botanic gardens and outdoor spaces are not being enjoyed this season and Mm -hmm. uh, that's quite a pity and it's all the more reason to have a little bit of paradise in your own backyard if you can put in even just a small water garden pot or water garden um on a small scale to to enjoy that yeah one of the benefits of this water gardens no matter if they're big or small is the abundant life that they bring um which is different than you know your other containers and 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 gardens you know you get birds and butterflies and bees and things like that but water gardens bring a whole nother element Mm -hmm. it's that just that whole essence of life, what that water giving life force. Yep. All right. Thank you, Kelly. You're quite welcome, Kathy. For this week's What's Blooming in the Garden segment, I decided to sit out here next to my waterfall and water garden and describe a little bit of what's in bloom inside of it. I have annual water hyacinth floating plants that send up their purple white blooms. I have irises, uh, yellow, and also the dark purple black gamecock. Surrounding the pond, I have some plantings with the fun allium globemaster. I have some native ephemerals still putting up a little bit of blooms dianthus pinks are just starting to bloom themselves and then i have several pots of herbs and i have my giant urn filled with water and a miniature lotus which is just starting to leaf out beyond that lavender phenomenal is starting to put up Um, some buds hopefully in the next week or so we'll have some actual blooms I have several different peonies just 
bursting into bloom. And then my favorite David Austin rose, Olivia, has numerous buds on it, but none have quite opened up yet. I expect that to happen hopefully by the end of this weekend. And, uh, and then I'm walking away from the waterfall so you can hear me hopefully a little bit better just to say that the spider warts along the pathway are popping open in their dark purple hues and several Waigila, as I discussed last week, are still going strong. A couple different Clematis, Taiga and Silver Moon are off in the distance. And then Dutzia and Spirea are putting on their late spring, early summer show. So I particularly wanted to recommend those two small shrubs um, for I would think what we would call the bridge season between the early to mid spring flowering plants and then our summer flowering plants. Both Spirea and Dutzia are a great shrub to get you over that hump in the garden where you might have uh, finished all your bulbs, but the summer shrubs like Hydrangea haven't started yet. Happy gardening. Plant Profile, Calamantha. Calamantha is a low-growing bushy perennial that prefers full sun and well-drained soils. Once established, it is extremely drought-tolerant. It is a member of the mint family. It resembles cat mint, and the Latin epithet nepeta and common name calament leads to some confusion between the two plants. It has a long bloom period, typically from June up to a hard frost. Calamanthus flowers are loved by pollinators and detested by deer. It does well in rock gardens, at border edges, and in containers. An ideal situation for Calamantha is planted under and among roses, where it creates fluffy underskirts around the bare lower rose canes. Think of it as a great-smelling replacement for baby's breath. Two Calamantha varieties that I recommend are White Cloud and Montrose White. The latter is sterile and won't reseed. It is maintenance-free beyond cutting it back in late fall or early spring. Try a Calamantha in your garden today. You can grow that. Thank you for listening to Garden DC. You can become a listener supporter by going to anchor.fm backslash kathy-gents backslash support. For as little as 99 cents a month, you can become a listener supporter and we'll give you a shout out in a future episode. Another way to support Garden DC is to go to WashingtonGardener.com and subscribe to Washington Gardener magazine. Hi, this is Kendra Brickley. Um, I wanted to find out about um, harvesting uh, asparagus. I've got just two uh, asparagus spears that are um, coming up. And then I've got another couple that are first year um, fuzzy ferns um, uh, kind of looking and wanted to find out um, 
I'm having trouble finding information on how, when to harvest, um, and or if I should just leave my existing stocks um, out for another year to to grow up. That is an excellent question, Kendra, and thanks for asking. So asparagus is a little tricky. The first few years, you do want to leave the onesie twosie spears that you get coming up to um, leaf out and to gain strength and to send that back down to the roots so that in subsequent harvests you get many more spears. Um, The recommendation is to not harvest for the first three years minimum. After that you can take a couple of spears and then let the rest go up and you might do that for another two to three years. Then after that seventh year or so, you'll start to get what I would consider a decent crop. So it takes a little bit of patience as we learn from a lot of gardening, but soon you'll have a really nice asparagus harvest. You can find Washington Gardener online at WashingtonGardener.com, on Twitter at WDC Gardener, on Instagram at WDC Gardener, and on Facebook.com at Washington Gardener Magazine.